Praise the Lord. Let's look in the book of Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. We're taking our uh, authority from the Word of God. Hallelujah. How many know that's a good place to start? That's a good place to end. Hallelujah. And it's a good place to preach from. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Mark chapter 3, an interesting portion of Scripture. Mark chapter 3 and verse 13. Now, I want you to know um, that I have, because I've been preaching so much, and I'm not bragging about how much I'm preaching. As a matter of fact, I feel uh, that I need to pace myself a little bit better. And I'm going to, but God, sometimes things get ahead of you. But because I've been preaching so much, as I was driving up here, not just up to, to, to Lloyd Minister, but when I left uh, at London, Ontario, three and a half weeks ago or so, uh, 25 days ago, uh, I, I was on the first hour of the drive, and I was saying, I'm not really liking this, Lord. And uh, uh, my wife, when she said goodbye to me, she says, you know, we, we can't, you can't leave so soon next time. And I agree, and we're going to make some changes. But, but as I was traveling, I said, Lord, I want this trip to really count. And I don't want to just blow, be blowing hot air on cold Christians. Come on now, right? And I definitely don't want to just be preaching for the sake of preaching. And I don't want to be preaching to take up offerings. I want to be preaching to touch and transform lives. And so I've asked the Lord to give me uh, some, uh, a real word from God. And I've asked God that he would give me people that would come. And I, I look at you on a Monday night being in the house of God. And I just applaud you. And I'm so, I'm so blessed that you're here in the house of God on a Monday night. Praise God. I don't know what else it would be better than that anyways. But, but uh, I, I just applaud you. And so I said, Lord, I... I want to make this count, hallelujah. And then I realize, and, and I'll say this sincerely from my heart, there's never a time when I stand up and preach the gospel that I, that I don't, well, I'm standing in the, you know, on the front row or on the stage, you know, uh, where I am before I preach, where I don't stop and realize and thank God for the privilege that I have uh, to preach the gospel, not just the privilege, but the awesome responsibility to make sure I get it right. Are you, and, and realizing that it's not for me to get up and preach my little, the, th my little theory on this and my little idea on that, but I'm up there to preach the Word of God, hallelujah, and uh, to, to, to let your wisdom not stand in the wisdom of man or your, your, your understanding not be in the wisdom of man, but be in the actual uh, Spirit of God and His power and His anointing, amen? And so it's with that that I have gone to the book of Mark tonight, and I believe I have a word for you. From God. Hallelujah. Mark chapter 3, verse 13, it says, And he went up into a mountain, and he called himself those who he himself wanted, and they came to him. And uh, I want you to know that tonight, you know, you are here tonight because God has chosen you. Are you with me right now? And he has chosen you, and he has ordained you, and, and you're here tonight, and, and, and for this cause, you're here tonight that he has called you unto himself, and he has called you to come up higher. And you're here because he's chosen you, but at the same time, you are also here, this sounds like a paradox, but you're also here because you have chosen to be here. You know, it, 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 it's, it's not just all God. He didn't just, you know, uh, you know, put you on a tractor beam and just pull you in tonight, whether you wanted to come or not. You had a choice. 
And you could have stayed home and watched Three's Company or whatever. I don't know what's on TV these days. But, but uh, uh, you, could have, you, know, you could have done something else. But you're also here because you chose God. God chose you, but you chose God. And can I say to you tonight that your future is not your fate. Your future is your choice. And somehow we have to get a hold of that because I think there's a lot of Christians, and thank God we are believers, and this is a believing church, amen, where we know how to use our faith to take down mountains and pull down strongholds. Come on now. Take down sickness and disease. Come on now. We know how to use our faith to, to get prosperity working in our life. Come on now. Because we understand that our future is not our fate. Our future is our choice. In other words, what, you know, what, you know, you just, you know, there's a lot of, and I go to churches and I, I, and I, and I meet people, I meet pastors where they just, well, you know, whatever happens, happens. And I look at them and many times if I have a voice in their life, I say, well, you might as well just become a Muslim. And they look at me and say, what are you talking about? I say, well, that's how Muslims believe. They just believe whatever happens, happens. You know, whatever God wants to happen will happen. And, uh, and so, you know, if, you, if your philosophy is that, if your understanding of the Word of God is that whatever's going to happen is going to happen anyways, then, then there's no sense in choosing. There's no sense in, in making a decision. There's no sense in even believing. If it's going to happen no matter what, then, you know, what's the purpose? What's the sense? But that's not how God works. Your future is not your fate. Your future is your choice. And your choice in the sense that Jesus went up to the mountain, he called unto himself those who he wanted, and he asked them to come up higher. Hallelujah. And I want you to know your choice determines how far you go and how high you go. Come on now. And I want you to know that some of you, uh, God is trying to get you to see that there's a higher plane for you to walk on. Praise God. There's a higher place for you to move into. There's a greater room. There's a greater anointing. There's a greater sphere. There's a greater place. There's a greater dimension. Somebody say yes. And that's why I say your future is not your fate. Your future is your choice. And so there's all kinds of choices that we make in life. God has chosen you, but yes, tonight you have chosen him. Hallelujah. And you have chosen at least for tonight to be in the house of the Lord and to be in his presence. Come on now. And there's all kinds of choices that we make. You can be good and not quite so good, or you can be bad and not quite so bad. Come on now. And you can, uh, you know, you have to live, but you can choose the kind of life you're going to live. And you'll have to have a God, something above and beyond must call for your affection. But you can choose the God in whom you're going to serve. And all these people wandering around, Lloyd Minister, looking, driving past the church, seeing cars outside, and thinking that we're a bunch of foolish people, uh, you know, worshiping God. But they have their gods. They got their gods. Their God is their money. Their God is their bottle. Their God is their computer. Their God is Facebook. Their God is their job. Come on, every, every person has a God. Something above and beyond calls for your affection, but you can choose the God in whom you're going to serve. The Bible says we have to die, unless the rapture takes place, we have to die. It is inevitable, but, it's, but you can choose the condition of your soul at the time of your death. You'll have to, every person will have to bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the universe and Savior of man's soul, but you can choose which world you'll make your confession in. And I'll just give you a clue. If you don't choose now, you're going to be too late. 
Because the Bible says even the devil himself will bow and every man, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And so the Bible says that Jesus went up into a mountain and he called unto himself those who he wanted. And I want you to know tonight that you're in the presence of God and you're here because he's chosen you, but you're also here because you've chosen him. Hallelujah. And if you make good choices, you'll go higher and you'll go further and you'll go deeper with the Lord. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. amen. And then the scripture goes on to say in Mark chapter 3, he went up into a mountain and called unto himself those who he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 that they might be with him and then might send them out to preach, to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. I've read that scripture many, many times. I must confess that when I read that paragraph, my eyes gravitated to the names of the apostles, and I started trying to memorize them. And every time I can say over the years, almost every time, I've been gravitated right to the names of the apostles and tried to memorize their names, almost to the point that I missed the first couple of verses. Are you with me right now? For the Bible says he came up into a mountain, and he called those who he wanted and he called them unto himself, and he called them to preach and to cast out devils and to lay hands on the sick, hallelujah. And then there are 12, the names of the 12 apostles. But I want you to know tonight the Bible says that he called them for to preach and to cast out devils and have authority over sickness and disease. If you were in any denomination, whether it's CFCM or OBFF or the Pentecost Summers of Canada, I was preaching in the uh, Apostolic Church of Pentecost, and I was over there in the Victory Church, and no matter what church it is, that that, that in Canada, United States, and it's a tradition around the world, it's a biblical tradition, uh, that, that uh, if you were going to be ordained as a minister of the gospel, uh, somebody would take this Bible and they would hold it over you and they would, uh, they would read from the scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, and they would say, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke uh, with all longsuffering and doctrine. And, and that would be kind of a a way that almost every church that I know of, whether the Baptist church or uh, the Word Faith Organization, you know, whatever, uh, they would all do the same thing because it's really a good, oppor good uh, opportunity. It's a good, uh, a good picture of how uh, ministers are to 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 uh, to approach the gospel with respect and with fear and with with uh, long suffering and and not just to preach their own thing, but to preach the Word of God. And, but we read that scripture, and so oftentimes we look at it, and if you're not in the full time, you know, five full, let me put it, everybody's in the full-time ministry, but what you're not in the five-fold office. Are you with me right now? I'll just make that distinction right now. But if you read that scripture, most of the time what happens is those that are not in the five-fold office will read that scripture and just skip over it as if it has no application to them. But I want you to know that that Bible is made for everybody. Hallelujah. And there are no big people in this room. And there are no little people in this room. But everybody's important to God. Hallelujah. And everybody has a voice. And everybody can make a difference. Yeah. 
Hallelujah. And, uh, and so that scripture that we are to preach the word and be instant in season and out of season is not just for the pastor. It's not just for the evangelist. It's not just for the prophet, but it's for the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, and it's for you. Hallelujah. And so why can I say that? Because the Bible says that he hasn't chosen you. He, uh, he has, he's not choosing you. He has already chosen you. Hallelujah. He's not anointing you. He has already anointed you. Hallelujah. He is not calling you. He has already called you. Hallelujah. And he has ordained you, every one of us, that we would bring forth fruit. Come on now. Somebody say yes. That's why the word of God says in Isaiah chapter 61, you shall be called priest of the Lord. And you shall be called ministers of our God. And I know people will point out and say that's talking about the ministry of Jesus, but it's also talking about the minister, a ministry of the believer. For in Second Peter it says this, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, hallelujah. And then over in the book of Corinthians it says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of the Lord Jesus Christ who has made us, he's talking not to a group of ministers, he's not preaching to a pastoral conference he's talking to the church of Corinth and he says he has made us all to become able ministers of the new uh, the new covenant not uh, hallelujah not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves but our sufficiency is the, of the Lord Jesus Christ who has made us not making us has made us already to become able ministers of the New Testament not of the letter for the letter kills but it's the spirit of God that brings life Somebody say amen. And so tonight when we talk about this scripture, don't get in your mind that it's talking just about a, a couple uh, few that have gone to seminary or to Bible school. But it's for every believer to understand that these signs shall follow them that believe. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Hallelujah. I'm here to tell you your hands are just as anointed as my hands. Hallelujah. you got just as much faith as I got. Hallelujah. And somebody said, well, Brother Mark, I don't have the kind of faith you got. Well, you may not have faith developed the way my faith is developed, but you have muscles just like I have muscles. Some of you probably have more developed muscles than I do. Come on. Okay, I'll have an arm wrestle with you after. We'll see. But the truth is, everybody has muscle, but not everybody has developed muscle. Everybody has faith, but not everybody has developed faith. Come on now. doesn't say that God has given you a measure of faith, that he gave somebody, you know, a lot, and somebody a little. He gave everybody the measure of faith. And so you all have muscles, but some of you have developed your muscles. Your muscles. Come on now. Amen. How many, how many got some muscles? You know? And, and so you got some faith, and you got the call of God on your life. And the Bible says these signs follow them to believe. And so some things follow some people because they're, they're exercising their muscles, hallelujah. And some things don't follow people because they're not exercising their muscles. But I'm here to tell you today that this gospel is for you, hallelujah. For he's called you unto himself, hallelujah. And he's called you up into a mountain, hallelujah. He's called you to come up higher. And he wants you to leave the lowly life and come up into the joyful life where God uses you and fruit flows from your veins, hallelujah. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. Out of your belly flows rivers of living water. Amen. Praise the Lord. And so, uh, you know, the scripture is very clear that uh, we are to preach the word and be instant in season and out of season. That doesn't mean that you have to have three points in a poem and a story from Reader's Digest. But everybody, the Bible says, should be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within them. 
Amen. Hallelujah. And so you need to know that if you're going to be strong in the Lord and you're going to be an able minister of the New Testament, you need to understand that it's not the church's gospel. And it's not the pastor's gospel. And it's not Paul the Apostle's gospel, but it's our gospel. It's your gospel. It's my gospel. Hallelujah. And until it becomes your gospel. Hallelujah. I'm not saying something you make up. It becomes yours. You possess it. Hallelujah. It will never have power over other people's lives. But Paul the Apostle, when he spoke, he didn't say the gospel. He said, my gospel, our gospel, hallelujah. I thank God it's our gospel. Some say, somebody say our gospel. Somebody say my gospel. It's not just Billy Graham's gospel, hallelujah. It's not just Reinhard Bonnke's gospel. Come on now. It's not just Kenneth Copeland's gospel. But thank God it's my gospel, hallelujah. I'm not getting the gospel secondhand, hallelujah. I got it firsthand, hallelujah. You still with me? Praise God. And so over in 1 Thessalonians, I love this portion of Scripture. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul the Apostle says, For our gospel, everybody say our gospel. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but it came also in power. Everybody say power. So many times we talk about the proclamation gospel and how we know we need to proclaim the gospel. We need to preach the gospel, and, and I, I'm concerned because sometimes uh, we get into churches where we feel like they've taken such a soft approach, they don't want to talk about the cross, they don't want to talk about the blood, but listen to me, if you don't talk about the cross, if you don't talk about the blood, if you don't talk about the sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, where is the power? For the Bible says, Paul the Apostle said, the gospel uh, of this kingdom, uh, the gospel of the kingdom is foolishness to those who perish, but to us who believe, it is the power of God, hallelujah. And so the power is in our gospel, hallelujah. And Paul said our gospel didn't come to you with just words only, but it came to you in power and demonstration. And so we need to proclaim the gospel, but how many know we also need to demonstrate it? Somebody say demonstrate it. But as soon as us, you know, Baptocostal, Pentaholiness, word, faith, charismatic, charismatic, whatever, uh, people, you know, with those who love the moving of the Holy Spirit and the Word, as soon as we start talking about the gospel, uh, in not just in Word, but in power, everybody thinks of that big, glorious altar service where people get healed and start falling over the power of God and speaking in other tongues, and that's part of it. But that's not all there is to it. For Paul the Apostle said, our gospel did not come to you in power and word only, but it came to you in power in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Hallelujah. And I love it. See, the old Alpharaza says this. It says this. It says, for our gospel didn't come to you in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance as you know what manner of men we were among you for our sake. So what the gospel is not just what you say, it's how you say it. It's who you are when you say it. It's who you are before you say it, and it's who you are after you say it. And it's who you are and what kind of authority you have when you say it. Hallelujah. For Paul the Apostle says, we walked among you, and you knew what kind of people we were for your sake. 
In other words, he said, you saw us. You didn't see us just in the pulpit. You didn't just see us spitting and sweating with a microphone in our hand. But you saw our lives, and we were transparent before you for your sake. We didn't just talk about it. We demonstrated with a lifestyle that was committed with character and uprightness and with integrity. Somebody say amen. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Praise the Lord. And so I want you to see, it says, for we, you knew what kind of man we proved ourselves to be among you for your sake. Can I tell you right now, right here in Lloyd Minister, and those of you who come from the surrounding areas, uh, those who come from up in Loon Lake, uh, there are people for, who's for your sake God has ordained you. Hallelujah. There are people for whose sake God has called you. There are people for whose sake that I will never be able to touch, that Pastor Jonathan will never be able to touch, that Sister Browning will never be able to touch, but there are people out there for whose sake God has planted you in their life. Hallelujah. People that are hurting, people that are suffering, people that are bleeding, people that are hunting and hungry and hurting, people the lonely, the last, the last. Come on now. There's people out there that need Jesus, and God has planted you in their life for their sake. Hallelujah. We need to be aware of that. It's not just about, the world's tired about what we talk about. They want to see it with their eyes, hallelujah. They want to see it in character. They want to see it in lifestyle. They want to see it in power. They want to see it in demonstration. Come on now. Hallelujah. For this gospel, our gospel is not just word. It's not just a show after the word. It's not just a little song and a dance and a shout and a little prayer and somebody falling over. But it's power and demonstration that lasts all week long in between services. Hallelujah. It's a life that's committed to God. It's a life that's sold out to God. It's a life that's full of the Holy Ghost. I'm preaching better than you're shouting. Hallelujah. She's, she's shouting pretty good, but what about this? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And so, and so over in the book of, uh, uh, of, of uh, Peter, the Bible says, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart that you might now always, uh, that you might always have an answer. This is not just to the preacher. This is not just advice for the evangelist, but every person, 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts that you would always give an answer to every man that asks for the reason for the hope that lies with you in you and do it with meekness and respect, not with arrogance and pride. I know the way and you don't. You're going to hell. No, do it in meekness and respect. Do it in such a way that your life measures up. Do it in such a way that you look like you care. Do it in such a way that when people look at you and want to accuse you for some, of something, that they'll, uh, after a few weeks of investigation, they'll humble themselves and apologize and feel embarrassed that they ever thought that you could ever been involved in something like that because you have a lifestyle. It's not just what you preach. It's how you preach it. It's who you are when you preach it. It's who you are after you preach it. Come on now. It's your character. It's your lifestyle. This gospel is not in word only. It's in power and in demonstration in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Lord. I'm just getting started. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. 
And so the word of God says, give an answer. Be ready to give an answer. You know, the interesting thing is, you know, uh, the Bible says in Luke chapter 10, of course, you know, Jesus had his 12. And then he had his 70. And then he called us all. But he had his 70, and the Bible says he sent out his 70 to heal the sick and to cast out devils. And the Bible says they came back rejoicing. And they were so excited, and I can imagine they're coming back. They were actually surprised. I don't think, you know, uh, somebody said you can read the, between the lines and you might think that they're surprised. No, you just don't read between the lines. Read in the lines. The answer is in the lines. It's not between the lines. I'm tired of preachers trying to tell me what's in between the lines. I just want to know what's on the lines. It says they came back rejoicing that devils and demons were subject to Jesus' name. Hallelujah, which tells me something, and we don't see it here, that spiritual warfare is not just a series of rituals. That series of, that we, spiritual warfare is not just some kind of 10-point uh, 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 steps that you go through to bring somebody free to a place of freedom. But Jesus never taught them spiritual warfare. He just said, go out and cast out devils and lay hands on the sick. And they came back surprised. They said, Jesus, devils and demons are subject to your name. And Jesus said, I saw Satan falling his light. And I have given you power and authority to tread on serpents and all the works of the enemies. All the works of the enemies. I said, all the works of the enemies. And nothing shall by no means harm you. If you don't get excited about that, if you don't get on fire about that, your wood is wet. He didn't say some. He said all. He said all authority over all sickness and disease. And scorpions. Hallelujah. i never forget the time I was in Africa and I got, our truck got, our vehicles got struck. We got stranded in the middle of the road. And it was 44 degrees Celsius and the sun had gone down. Now all the heat's coming off the road. I'm sleeping in the middle of the road. I really am. I'm just, and I got the generator beside me trying to charge my phone, try to call somebody for emergency. And I started to fall asleep and I woke up and there were seven scorpions around me. Hallelujah. I woke up before they got me. Hallelujah. What did you do, Brother Mark? I got up on my feet, stepped on every one of them because the Bible says I can. Hallelujah. <laughs> You'll tread on scorpions. Hallelujah. And on serpents and all the works of the enemy. And nothing by any means will injure you or harm you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's the promise. Yeah. Man, I could see the, uh, the, all those 70, they're just jumping up and down. They're saying, woo, we got the power. And Jesus says, wait a second. He said, don't rejoice. The demons are subject to my name. Don't rejoice that you have power over scorpions. Don't rejoice that you have power over snakes. Don't rejoice that you have powers over devils. He said, listen, you start rejoicing that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Why? Listen to me right now. Because Jesus knew that there would always be a people that would start using a ritual rather than relying on their relationship. That there would always be a people who would say, this is how it's done. And they'll start going off and start just doing the, the ritual and going through the form without the relationship. I'm here to tell you the gospel isn't in ritual. It's not in ritual. It's in relationship. Hallelujah. It's not what you know. It's who you know. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. And they came back rejoicing, saying, oh, Jesus. He said, wait a second. 
You won't even, that, it won't even work for you unless you know one thing, that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Because the gospel is not in ritual, it's in relationship. Are you with me right now? And then we can fast forward a little bit further down to the book of Acts. I think it's Acts chapter 19, where we see seven itinerant uh, Jewish evangelists. And here they are. They're not just seven itinerant Jewish evangelists. They are seven itinerant name-dropping Jewish evangelists. I get tired of name-droppers. It's like people just walking around and calling all the names, and I know him, and I know that, and I'm like, I feel like after a while, I say, yeah, you know that guy, you know this guy? Do you know Jesus? Yeah. Are you with me right now? Yeah. Okay, just understand this, because these seven name-dropping itinerant Jewish evangelists, they said, Jesus we know. They said, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to that devil, come out. And the devil, I never want to get in agreement with the devil, but I like what he said there. He said, Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who are you? And I want you to know if you look in the, the Greek, you'll, you'll get a great revelation. I'll come to it in a minute. But just above that portion of Scripture, the Bible talks, talks about unusual miracles, special signs that came through the hands of Paul. Unusual miracles. Special miracles. So does that mean that there are some miracles that are less and some are more? Listen, if you have a migraine headache and you can't get it, rid of it by natural means and somebody lays their hands on your head, anoints you with oil and commands that migraine headache to go and it goes, let's just call it what it is. Let's say it's a miracle. And if you're crippled in your legs and you can't walk, somebody lays their hands on you and your legs start moving, let's just call that a miracle. Come on now. And if you got blind eyes like the lady, that, I don't know how many blind people we saw had healed last crusade, but the lady I told about last night who was crippled, blind all her life and fell down on the ground, started manifesting devils, and I went and put my hand on her after she was finished rolling around the ground, and I said, do you want to be free? And she said, yes. And I put my hand on her and told her in the name of Jesus, be free. And then I walked away. And I didn't see her for about five hours. But when I saw her the next time, her eyes were open. She was healed. Hallelujah. That's a miracle, my friend. And if you got an ingrown toenail and you can't get healed of it, and the doctor says he's got to take, come on now. If the doctor says he's got to take your toenail off and Jesus heals your toenail, let's just call it a miracle. A miracle's a miracle. What's a special miracle? Well, it was an unusual miracle. Because I don't believe there are big miracles and little miracles. Come on, if you need $5 and God provides $5, hallelujah, that's a miracle. Yeah. Come on now, you're with me right now. If you need, like me, i got to believe God for about $10,800 a week. Come on now, praise God. That's nothing compared to some other guys, but it's hallelujah. I'm growing in faith, hallelujah. And you're not my source, but God is my source, hallelujah. Yeah. But you see, it doesn't matter whatever you need, and God provides. Let's just call it a miracle, hallelujah. But these special miracles was that it was done in a special way, an unusual way. It says they took the cloths of Paul, I'm kind of like somebody swiped some cloths from Paul, and uh, without him knowing, and next thing you know, they are passing them out. And because of their faith, and because of their trust in God, and because of G God's great grace, miracles and signs and wonders happened through the power of their faith. There was no healing power necessarily in the cloth, but there's healing in the power of Jesus and people's faith. Are you with me right now? 
And so uh, these people got, I told you, I think I told you last time about the Filipino guy that came up to me in the Chinese Pentecostal church in, in Toronto. And he said, Brother Mark, I must confess, I, I got something to tell you. And I said, I don't want to hear it. And he says, he says, I got to tell you, I've sinned against you. And I said, I really don't want to hear it. And he said, but I got to tell you. And I said, I don't want to hear it. And I just go tell it to Jesus. I'm thinking, how could he have sinned against me anyways? And uh, then when he told me, he said, he, said, I, he said, last time you were here, I stole your hanky. And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, did my hanky, if I have a hanky, you know, you don't want to touch it. You don't want to get anywhere near it. Just, you know, pick it up with a pair of tongs. <laughs> Find a torch, incinerate it. Come on now. You don't want to be anywhere near it. He said, well, I said, what did you do with it? He said, I put it in a Ziploc bag. I said, that was smart. <laughs> I said, what did you do with it after that? He said, I sent it to the Philippines. And, and they put it on the bed, uh, the pillow of a lady that was dying with cancer. And, uh, and uh, she was in a coma. And she was dying with cancer. And I said, what happened? He said, uh, the next day she came out of her coma. And two days later she got out of bed and her cancer was totally disappeared. And I said, hallelujah. I said, now, is that story true? Because I, no, no, it's not that I don't believe that Jesus can do it. I just don't want to go around telling a story that's not true. So I said, to him, is that, I said to him, is that story true? And he said, yes, the lady's right here in this room. We're having fellowship after the service. And he called her over. He said, this is my fiance. We're getting married in one month. Hallelujah. Well, that was a special miracle. Hallelujah. Because it was done in an unordinary way. Because the ordinary way for this church is to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. The ordinary way for this church is, like many churches, is to take the anointing oil and anoint you with oil, hallelujah, and believe that the prayer of faith will heal the sick, hallelujah. The ordinary way for this church is to pray a prayer of agreement and stand on God's word and believe God and keep on speaking to the mountain until that mountain disappears. That's the ordinary way. And so there were some extraordinary ways. And so when you read this story about the seven sons of Sceva, they had heard about Paul the apostle. They had heard about the special miracles wrought through his hands. Are you with me right now? And so in the King James it says, and in the translations you'll read it says, it says Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who are you? But if you go back into the Greek, you'll find out that really they weren't so sure that they knew Paul because the Bible says here, it says, it says Jesus we know, which is uh, heos, which means we have an intimate understanding of Jesus. We've seen him work. And then it says Paul we know, epistamine, which means we know about. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that they didn't know who Paul was a little bit, but they hadn't really met him. I think that Paul the Apostle's, you know, name was on hell's bulletin board, underarmed and dangerous. <laughs> but Jesus they knew in relation, they knew because of experience. And Paul they knew by, by hearsay. But the devils turned, but the, but the, but the demons turned around and said, but who are you? Which tells me there are different knowledge, levels of knowledge that you can have. Some of you know God well. Some of you know Jesus well. And some of you know him only by, from a distance. Are you with me right now? 
And so the Bible says, Paul, they said, Jesus, we knew, we know, we've met him, we've experienced his power, and Paul, we know about, but who are you? And the devils, can you imagine one devil in one man ran after these people, seven sons of Sceva, ran after them, beat them up, stripped them naked, and left them bloody. One devil, one man against seven. Because the gospel's not in name dropping. No. It's not in what you know or what you think you know. The gospel is in who you know. Yeah. Are you with me right now? It's not in ritual. It's in relationship. It's not in name dropping. It's not in who you think you know. It's who you really know. Come on now. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. And so today, you know, and I, you can call this a Pentecostal superstition if you want. But I, I, I really believe this to be true, that if you are not thoroughly convinced, you will not be thoroughly convincing. And this is part of the problem in our body, in the body of Christ in general, that we have people going around preaching and, and trying to have power over devils and demons, and they're using relationship and name dropping. But folks, my friend, I want you to know that before Jesus ever called them to go and preach, and before he ever told them to take authority over devils and cast out devils and heal the sick, he called them first to be with him, which really is the first point, but I'm making my third point. He called them to be with him. Everybody say, be with him. Because the gospel is not in name dropping. It's in who you know. The, 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 the gospel is not in ritual. It's in relationship. It's not what you know. It's who you know. Come on now. It's still with me right now. So before he ever called them to preach, before he ever called them to cast out devils, before he ever called them to heal the sick, he said, can you read it again? He called those whom he himself wanted into the mountain. And they came to him and he appointed them that they might be with him and that he might send them to preach and to have power over sickness and disease and to cast out devils. Listen, my friend, what is the truth of this Pentecostal message? What is the truth of this message that we preach of this gospel, that this gospel not only comes to you, but it can work through you? Hallelujah. What is the truth of this message that you're not just called to be saved? You're not just called to be healed, but you're called to be an able minister of the new covenant. Come on now. He has called us all for to preach and witness. He has all called us all to lay hands. Can I say right now, it is your God-given gift to open your mouth and see somebody saved by your testimony and by your words, hallelujah. It is your God-given honor, hallelujah, and your God-given uh, 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 joy to lay hands on somebody and see them healed. Come on now. It is, I'm talking about you. I'm not talking about just the preacher. It is your God-given honor and your God-given gift to be used by God. But it won't happen by ritual and it won't happen by name-dropping. Yes, he called you to preach. And yes, he called you to have authority over devils. Yes, he called you to have authority over demons. But before he ever called you to preach, before he ever called you to cast out a devil, before he ever called you to have authority over sickness and disease, he first called them to be with him. Everybody say, be with him. Be with him. Hallelujah. He said, I want you to come and be with me. Hallelujah. And I'm thinking of the scripture in John chapter 5, 15 rather, where 
Jesus tells in his later days of his ministry before he is crucified, he says to the disciples, he said, I'm going away, but I'm going to send you a comforter. And when I send you the comforter, he will abide in you and he will bear witness of me and you will be witnesses. He will be witnesses in you because you have been with me from the beginning. You've been with me. And then flip ahead a little bit. Down uh, through the Bible, past the, 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 the crucifixion and, and past the resurrection and past the ascension, hallelujah, and past that outpouring in the book of Acts uh, to Acts chapter 4 where Peter and John, I think it's verse 18, are forbidden to preach again using the name of Jesus. And Peter pipes up and John at the same time, I guess they were talking and arguing with the scribes and Pharisees. They say, tell us, uh, is it reasonable for us to obey you or to obey God. And I believe that when the power of the book of Acts came upon people, hallelujah, it says you shall receive power. What is that power? I've heard it preached that the power is dynamite. But I hate to think that it would be dynamite because dynamite makes a mess. Come on now. But the power that God gives us is just enough ability, hallelujah. It's enough ability to do whatever you need to do, hallelujah. Come on now. The power is the ability to do what you need to do. And if you're asking for more power than that, then you're asking for something that heaven does doesn't have because he's got more than enough ability for everything you need and every problem you have hallelujah it's divine ability and I believe that Peter and John when they walked those streets and preached in the name of Jesus that they had a divine ability hallelujah because when the Holy Ghost comes on you you can't help but preach hallelujah you can't help but witness you can't help but pray in tongues hallelujah you can't help but get excited you can't help but lift up your hands and worship your God hallelujah oh glory to God but when the scribes and Pharisees told them to shut up and don't preach anymore in the name of Jesus. I believe they not only got an ability, but I believe they got a divine inability. Hallelujah. Because they couldn't shut up. It was like fire shot up in our bones. Hallelujah. They said, tell me, is it reasonable for us to obey you or to obey God? Hallelujah. Woo! Woo! And then in verse 13 of Acts chapter 4, 4 says this, the scribes and Pharisees looked at Peter and John, and they noticed that they were ignorant and unlearned men, but they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. They had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. I was over in South Africa uh, two years ago, and I had the opportunity, my wife and I, to sit with Peter Pretorius. And uh, if you know who he is, he feeds many hungry people, works with uh, James Robeson, and, uh, and then also does some great ministry in the southern and central part of Africa, seeing many people saved in, in rural communities. And I was sitting there for three days. I had uh, met with him every day, and, and we were there in his compound. What a wonderful, beautiful man he is. And, and, uh, and I sat there, and I was asking him a lot of questions. Uh, you know, when you get in the presence of somebody that is a little bit further ahead of you than, than you are, you start asking questions. Come on now. And I started asking questions. I think after the third day, he kind of looked at me and said, Mark, I don't know. In his South, he's got a really talks like this. And uh, he's got a really South African accent. And I, I looked at him and I asked him another question. I think he was a little frustrated at me. Just shook his head. He said, Mark, I don't know. He said, but I know this. That if I abide in him and my words, if I abide in him and his words abide in me, I will bring forth much fruit. 
Yes, we're called to preach. Yes, we're called to cast out devils. Yes, we're called to heal the sick. But before we're called to do that, we're called firstly to be with him. I want to give you decision-making 101. You want just a a little quick class on decision-making 101? Here it is. And it may seem like it's, I'm, I'm trivializing, trivializing uh, your decisions. And I know that when I was younger, I probably wouldn't have said this, but I'll say it now. I'm 53 years old. I've been in the ministry for 32 years. Full time. Never done anything else but preach the gospel. But I'm here to say that if you want decision making 101, I want to tell you something. Should I move outside of town? to that farm where I can have more room and a nicer house. You just run it through this filter. How will it affect my relationship with Jesus? If 18 times a year I can't get to the church and the house of God because of snow and bad weather, how will it affect my relationship with Jesus? Come on now. I'm just saying, you know, you say, well, you think that's very trivial. You're just oversimplifying. No, I think it's, it's actually a pretty good way of figuring out God's will for plan for your life. You know, when you want to make a decision, just ask yourself, how will this affect my relationship with Jesus? Well, you know, I think I'll just go and I'll drive. I'll drive an hour and a half over to that church in, in you know, whatever, and, and every, every weekend. Yeah, you, you might have good intentions, but are you going to keep on doing that? Come on now. Are you resolved that much? Come on now. Hallelujah. I'm, you know, how will that affect my relationship with Jesus? How does it affect my relationship with Jesus? Can I watch this movie? Ask yourself, how does it affect my relationship with Jesus? That's right. Can I sit on the internet for three or four hours a day, you know, scrolling through Facebook? I'm not against Facebook. I post on Facebook. I got friends on Facebook. Some of you are my friends on Facebook. Hi, how you doing? Praise God. But I'm not against it. But my friend, if you're sitting there and your whole life is just waiting for somebody to to like your little post, come on. You got a very sad life. I'm just reading your mail right now. How will it affect my relationship? I'm on Facebook. I'll go on for a couple minutes a day, 20 minutes maybe. You know, all day I might check it three times, 20 minutes. I don't sit there. I know people sit on that thing. How does that affect my relationship with Jesus? Because before he ever called you to preach, before he ever called you to cast out a devil, before he ever called you to heal the sick, he called you first to be with him. Yes. And I may be trivializing it, but I'll tell you something. I think that the older I get, the more wise that that statement is. When you're making a decision, one of the filters you need to run it through is, how will it affect my relationship with Jesus? Come on, somehow we have to shift our thinking. Some of us want to be overcomers. We want to be called overcomers. And I think that we just, in some churches, we just throw around names. And we throw around titles and we say, here's sister so-and-so. She hasn't been in church for three or four weeks. And she comes once every month whether she needs to or not. But she's a real overcomer this morning. She's not an overcomer this morning. She should be in church every week. Come on now. Don't look at me like that. You know, I went to a church. I took over an old religious church. And uh, there's 30 people there, and there was 30 people in the congregation, and it was like 60 shut-ins. So I'd go out and visit the shut-ins. And I found out sometimes I'd knock on their door, they weren't shut in. <laughs> they're out grocery shopping, they're out visiting somebody, they just couldn't come to church on Sunday. 
And everybody says, oh, there's sister so-and-so. She's such an overcomer. No, she's not. Overcomers, that title is given to people that actually overcome. That's right. Come on now. You want to be a conqueror? Come on now. You got to conquer something. Come on now. Come on. You want to be an overcomer? That's why the Holy Spirit comes and is your comforter. That means that there might be a time in your life that he needs to stand beside you and help you. To overcome. To be a conqueror. Now, I tell you something, we want to hear those words, good and faithful servant, come on. That's the words that we want to live for. That's words worth dying for. Come on now. But I'll tell you something, I, I'm convinced that some people, when they get to heaven, Jesus is going to look and say, well, you made it. Because the words good and faithful is reserved for those who are good and faithful. Are you with me right now? And Jesus is calling people who not just have an idea what it's like to spend time with them, and not just the people that talk about spending time with them, but he's actually calling a people to be with him. Hallelujah. And it's great to come to the house of the Lord, and I love special services, and I love Sunday. Hallelujah. And I love, but can I tell you something right now? That if all you're getting is the diet that you get from the local church, then you ain't getting enough, baby. Because he's called you. To spend time with him. Hallelujah. And then we go over to the, new, the book of Acts. And let me try and wind this thing down. But we go over to the book of Acts. And we see that when we get to the book of Acts, there are some honorable mentions of some of the 12 disciples. The original 12. But there's really only three out of the 12 that really shook things up. Their names were Peter, James, and John. And somewhere around Acts 12 or 13, James falls out of the picture because they killed him. And the Bible says the Jews took pleasure in his death. That means that he must have been doing something significant enough to shake up the earth and to get people upset. Come on now. And then there was John, Peter, and John, who I just showed you in Acts chapter 4. And so there was three that really went further with Jesus. They went a little higher and they went a little further. And I believe it's because of the choices they made. Remember, I started out by saying, your future is not your fate. Your future is your, de- your, your, future is your choice. And when we look at Peter, James, and John, we realize that when it was time to go raise Jairus' daughter, Peter, James, and John were there. And it was time, when it was time, come on, are you with me right now? Hallelujah. And when they went to the garden of Gethsemane, Peter, James, and John were there. Hallelujah. And before they went to the garden of Gethsemane, at the Mount of Transfiguration where the glory of God descended, it was Peter, James, and John that were there. And I know if some of you know your Bible, you'll know well enough and you'll say, oh, but Brother Mark, Jesus chose them to be with him. And that's true. But let's go a little further. Come on now. You with me? me? Let's just go a little further. Because when they came out of the Garden of Gethsemane, it was only Peter and John who came out of the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. And what stopped? Come on now. And what? Come on now. 
And when they went to the garden, when they went to the empty tomb on that resurrection Sunday, it was Peter and John who came to the tomb and James wasn't there. What stopped James from coming out of the garden of Gethsemane with Jesus? What stopped James from being at the empty tomb on resurrection Sunday? I want to say and submit to you, it was nothing more or nothing less than the choices that James made not to go further and not to go higher. Let's take it a little step further. Because when we went to Calcutta's Hill, and you see the story of Jesus being crucified, and you hear the seven cries from the cross, one of those cries, he looked down, and when he looked down at the crowd, there was only one disciple there. His name was John. And the Bible says that Jesus looked down at John and said to his mom, behold your son, and to John, behold your mother. And, and, and Mary didn't go live with, his half, with Jesus' half-brother James. And what stopped Peter from being at Calgotha's Hill that crucifixion day what stopped peter from going higher and going further with jesus i'm here to say it's nothing more and nothing less than the choices that peter made for himself and then when we go back to the night that jesus was betrayed in that upper room and don't believe everything you see on canvas and don't believe everything you see on the movies about that upper room experience, that last final supper. Because uh, they sat around the table, but they, you know, in which party of 12 do you ever see everybody sitting on one side of the table? I could see Jesus saying, okay, Bartholomew and, and Judas and, and Simon, you come over on this side so you can get in the picture. And so every, all these, you know, we just take it as if that's the way it was, but that's not the way it was. And then we see the movie screen, and I understand there is some, why there's some confusion, because if you read in different uh, parts of the synoptic gospels, there's a little different twist on the story. But in the, in the movies, you'll see, Jesus will say, somebody's going to betray me, and then all of a sudden you'll hear somebody say, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? Is it I? And while they did ask the question, you read a very beautiful picture in the book of John where the Bible says uh, that, uh, they were, that John was on Jesus' right-hand side. And Peter knew. You read it in John 13, you'll see a different picture than you ever saw before. There ought to be some blank spaces in between the, some, some verses in the Bible to show a little bit of passing of time. Commas don't really do the fact. Because when Jesus said, somebody's going to betray me, yes, they did ask, is it I, is it I, is it I? But the Bible says, and I believe Peter knew, if there was one man that could get an answer from Jesus, it was John. Because the Bible says that Peter leaned over to John, and he said, John, could you ask him who it is? And I believe, you know, that there was a passing of time, and John leaned over to Jesus and said, everybody wants to know who it is. And Jesus said, it's the one who dips his bread in the cup. And then when Jesus was looking the other way, John might have turned back to Peter and said, oh, by the way, it's the guy who dips it. Something like that. But somehow Peter knew 
that if there was one man that was close, if there was one man that could get an answer, come on now. If there was one man that could get an answer for, from Jesus, it was John. And what drove John to the cross and that he could stay there and stay there in agony and pain and in despair was the love and the relationship he had for Jesus. And what kept Peter from being at that cross on crucifixion day was nothing more and nothing less than the choices that Peter had made. Your fate, future is not your fate. Your future is your choice. And I want to just finish this by being really candid with you. Can I just be candid with you? Can you look at me right now? We live in a world right now where we are so distracted. I can preach in a crowd of 1,000 people and look out and there's 300 people with their iPhones and their Blackberries open and God knows whether they're looking at Scripture, taking notes, or texting Grandma. Probably not texting Grandma, but they might be texting somebody. And we are so distracted. And I, 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 I found even myself that in study time, I'll open up my online Bible and I'll be online and, and all of a sudden CNN will pop up with an announcement of something I could care less about. And I get distracted. And then Facebook pops up and I'm learning to, 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 to shut off those devices. Come on now. Listen, folks, if you can't manage them, then maybe you're just going to have to not just put your phone on vibrate. Maybe you're just going to have to power it right down and turn it right off and have some time where only Jesus, not the telephone, not the messenger, not Facebook, come on now, not Twitter, not live announcements, come on now. I'm tired of them all. Talking. I drove three hours to have a lunch with one pastor, and I'll tell you something, I was there for an hour, and I think 45 minutes of it, he was on the phone. And I said, I thought to myself, I don't care who you are, how big your church is. I thought while I was driving away, you're rude and arrogant. And you know what? I forgive you. But I'm not going to waste my time. I wonder what think Jesus thinks. Come on now. There are more distractions now than there have ever been. And you are going to have to be more disciplined now than you have ever been if you are going to spend quality time, not diluted time, but quality time with Jesus where you push aside everything else, where the phone doesn't matter, where Facebook doesn't matter, where those pop-ups on your screen don't matter, where the beeping on your phone doesn't matter, where you just say, this is my time and my time alone. Come on. I want to meet with Jesus. I, I want to be with him because when I go out to preach, I, I don't want to just preach powerless words. And when I speak with my mouth. I want my words to count. Hallelujah. And when I pray for the sick, I don't want just a form of godliness without the power. I want the power. And so I must take time to be with Jesus. To be with him. To be with him. And folks, I've even felt convicted over these last few years. Come on now. Can I just be, can I just be real with you? Can I just, in the last moments of this preaching, can I just be honest with you? I feel like sometimes uh, that I'm up there just preaching and people are just waiting, 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 can't wait till the preaching's over so that there can be some demonstration. There can be some, something they can see and they can be tickled with and they can be, you know, goosebumped with and they can, they're just waiting for the altar service. But can I just say this? That God has not called us just to demonstration. He's called us to consecration. 
And somehow, I love the atmosphere. Before the offering was taken tonight, where I saw people just humbling their hearts, bowing their knee. And you could feel that there was a real genuine pulling on a Monday night that people were pulling on the presence of Jesus. Not just singing a song. Not just going through emotion. Not just having another religious evening. But having time with Jesus. And I'm not suggesting by any means that we go back to the old days. But I can tell you I remember times at Bud Williams Church in Hamilton, Ontario when I was a kid. And we go up in the prayer room. And the attitude was there. You didn't leave the altar. You didn't leave prayer time until heaven had touched you or you had touched heaven. And I remember on some occasions, not all occasions, I wasn't abused as a child, but sometimes it felt like it because I'd go home sometimes at 1230 or 1 o'clock in the morning because we were in the prayer room and the glory of God was coming down and falling on us. Hallelujah. And nobody wanted to leave. I remember six, seven years old looking at my watch. Looking at the clock on the car and thinking, well, it's already tomorrow. And I got to go to school because we've been in the presence of God. And folks, the power of this gospel, your gospel, my gospel, our gospel, is not in ritual. It's not in name dropping. It's not in what you know. It's in who you really know. And I believe God is calling us, folks. I really believe God is calling us. He's calling us higher. He's calling us to go further. He's calling us to spend time and to be with him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Anybody get anything out of this tonight? Hallelujah. Oh, how my heart yearns for him. As the deer pants for the water, even so... My heart longs for him in a dry and thirsty land. How my heart yearns for him. How my heart yearns for him. And folks, I just feel this tonight, and I hope you'll just humor me if you don't believe this is true. But I just feel that it would be pleasing to the Lord. Listen to me. That if we, if Brother John, Pastor John, you could just go to the keyboards and we'd sing that second song about the glory of God that you sang. What a beautiful song. And yes, there's going to be prayer. And yes, there's going to be demonstration. But for those of you who have listened to the heart of God tonight, yes, he wants to give you power. He wants to anoint your words. And yes, he wants to anoint your prayers. And yes, he wants to heal people through you. And yes, he wants to give you power and authority. But before he ever wants to do any of that, he wants you to be with him. And I think it would be pleasing tonight. Listen to me just for a few moments. If you just slip out of your chair and come. And bow your knee at that altar. And bow your, your knee on the front rows of this, this church. And that we just humble ourselves and make this place. And I, don't get me wrong, there'll be some demonstration. But if we just take a moment and just say, oh God, in all my busyness, the busyness doesn't give me the joy. In all my activity, in all my ritual, in all my movements, in all the interruptions, somehow... My heart yearns for you. I need you. I want you. I don't want to be a person with a form of godness without the power. I want to be a person of power. I need you. 
I want you, and I just feel if you want to tonight, I'm just going to ask you to just get out of your chair right now and just come and bow your knee down before God this, this evening. I, I believe it's pleasing to him. I believe it's honorable. Sometimes we want the demonstration. We want to seek God's hand, but tonight let's have a little consecration. Let's just seek his face. You say, what will I do while well, I'm humbling myself right now? You just humble yourself before God and say, Lord, I need you. I want you. I need you in my life. I need you in my heart. I need you when I get up in the morning. I need you on my way to work. I need you every hour. I need you. I need you, and more importantly, I want you. I want you, Lord. I I need you, and I want you, and I want you, and I need you. In fact, I don't want to just be religious. I don't want to just go through the motions. I don't want to just have a form of godliness. And so right now, I just focus my life in on you, Lord God. Show me how. Show me how to maximize my time with you. Show me how to come up higher. Show me how to go further. Show me where it is that my time's been robbed every day. Show me how to get back some precious minutes that I could spend time seeking you first. For as I understand this gospel, our gospel, my gospel, your gospel, our gospel, it is a gospel of power. It is a gospel of demonstration. But before it's ever a gospel of power and demonstration, it's firstly a gospel of consecration, Lord. I seek you. I call upon you. I knock at your door. I submit myself to you. I, I yield myself to you. I humble myself to you. I, I, I labor to enter into your rest. I press towards the mark of the high calling. It's a very little effort I make compared to what you do. The few moments I take are nothing compared to what you pour in my life. If I take one step, you'll take two. So, Lord, we humble ourselves today. And we say, Lord, yes, we want power. And yes, we want authority. And yes, we want anointing. And yes, we want to reach our generation. And yes, we want to cast out devils. And yes, we want to live like the book of Acts. Lord, would you teach us how? Teach us how to be with you. Teach us how when we're reading our Bible, not just to have devotions, but to give you our devotion. Teach us when we're praying, not just to wrap off phrases and ritualistic lines, but to pray from our heart, not our head. Teach us when we lift up our holy hands towards you that it's not just a form but that our hands are connected to our heart and that we're yielding our lives to you. Oh, how our heart longs for you. How our heart longs for you. How our heart longs to you. I just want you to open your mouth right now and just begin to call upon the name of the Lord. I just really believe this is, this is holy. This is wholesome. This is God's. This is God here tonight.
You're a good people. You're a hungry people. I could tell when I just listened to the worship, when I looked around and saw you, you're a good people. But oh God, let us, let us not be distracted. Let us not be sidetracked. Let us not be too busy with the cares of life to spend time with you, to be with you, to come up higher. For you have chosen us and you want us. Tonight with bended knees, we humble our heart and we say, yes, Lord, we want you. We want you. We want you. We want you. We humble ourselves before you right now. Come on, just open your mouth and call upon him for a moment. Just pray in the Holy Ghost. Come on, just pour out your heart before him right now. Lord, we need you. We want you. Oh, Jesus. Yes, we want power. Yes, we want more power than we ever had. Yes, we want authority. Yes, we want the sick healed. Yes, we want power over devils. Yes, we want to tread on scorpions and serpents. But more than we want all that, we want you. We don't want a form of godliness. We want you. We don't want a ritual. We want relationship. We know it's not all that we know, but it's who we know. And Paul the apostle prayed after 30 years of ministry. He said, oh Lord, that I might know him. Power of his resurrection. Lord, that we might know you, 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 that we might know you. Oh, Jesus, we humble ourselves. Hallelujah. I want you to look at me where you are right now, if you can. I know that this is a healthy church. You know why? Because in many churches today, if you call people to come and bow their knee before the Lord, many people couldn't do it. It's true. They want the demonstration, but without the consecration. But listen to me right now. Jesus, Jesus will always love you. There's never any question. Will you stop that question? Do you love me? Of course he loves you. Jesus will never leave you. He'll always be as close as the mention of his name. But you choose how much of a relationship you have with him. And he is a perfect gentleman. He says, if you will draw nigh unto me, I will draw nigh unto you. But he will not violate your will. And when you read through the New Testament, you'll find out that this has always been an action gospel. Call, and he will answer. Seek, and you will find. Ask, and it shall be. Knock, and it shall be opened. Submit, 
and he'll give you power to resist. Labor, and you'll enter into his rest. And I can't explain it any better than I did last night. We had a different sermon, but I closed with the same thought because I came home from Africa in December and I was exhausted. And my wife says, you and I need a vacation. I said, I know we do. But I'm too tired to get on the phone and book it. My wife looked at me and she says, you really are too tired then. She said, one hour's effort for 10 days of relaxation. Seems like it's worth it to me. Are you with me right now? The effort we make to seek, to knock, is so little compared to the blessing and the outpouring and the strength and the power and the courage and the boldness that he gives to us. But it's always been in our, he put it in our court. He died, he gave his life, and now the ball's been in our court. And you choose to go as deep, as far, as high as you want to go.